0: hey there thanks for joining me today for another episode of lymphedema podcast my name is betty i'm a certified lymphedema therapist passionate lymphedema advocate mother and the voice behind lymphedema podcast what began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries Whether you're a patient, caregiver, medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there's an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I made this podcast just for you. Disclaimer, if you feel you have lymphedema but have not been diagnosed, please see your medical professional as this podcast is not a replacement for a diagnosis in person, a treatment in person from your certified lymphedema therapist, or a substitution for your doctor's medical advice. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Welcome back to today's episode of Lymphedema Podcast. It is part two of my conversation with life coach Ellen Fallhaber. She is going to wrap up today's session with a two-minute guided meditation. So be sure to listen all the way to the end, as well as we're going to dive into the Enneagram. So if you are a fan of the Enneagram or you are interested in the personality types of the Enneagram, I highly recommend this episode to wrap up our conversation from last week and to just put a little bow on it with guided meditation and an introduction to the Enneagram. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. All right, so we just finished talking about box breathing and addressing this cycle to make action steps to break the cycle of either whatever's going on in our mind or in our body at the moment. And as a clinician, I would like to highlight these two really big things that I don't think people talk about enough in a positive way. Not that there's like a positive way to really say this, but in a open, healthy, let's have a conversation way. I feel like every time I've heard this, it's just been rant and it's just word vomit. That's that's the nicest way I know how to put it. But clinicians often face and feel burnout and emotional fatigues, emotional fatigue. And I'm wondering in what ways might their mental health be impacted from that cycle? I can tell you personally from my own experience, (laughs) but from your professional side of things, um, how do you see that?
1: Um, I think we can look at, all humans from that perspective, that burnout is an emotional fatigue is, um, happening everywhere. Um, obviously it's unique to a lymphedema therapist, just, you know, following the theme of lymphedema on this podcast. Um, but how it can affect their mental health. I mean, we look at how burnout affects mental health. They, it affects motivation. It affects drive, which is motivation, Um, you know, the desire to want to help, you know, it's going to affect empathy. It turns on the um, sort of, I have a job, I got to check the boxes, there's less, it, it, it will likely affect conversations that they're having with coworkers, even family members, but also patients and engagement can, can suffer too. And I think if we look at A person doesn't get to be a lymphedema therapist or a therapist of any type if they don't want to help other people. You know, that's why you get into this field is because you want to help. You recognize that you yourself have a gift, whatever that gift is, and it's more than just empathy. You know, it's obviously skill but it's compassion and the ability and you have that gift and you want to help others. And it is very unfortunate that there is a high level of burnout that is impacting the whole reason why you got into this field into the first place. And my first recommendation is all the other things that we talked about. How do you, what action steps can you take? What small steps can you take to sort of manage um, the tension and the stress? Um, but it is also Making sure that boundaries are created. So, if you are going into work and you leave every day and you're noticing that you're going in early, you're leaving late, you don't get a lunch, you know, it's just go, go, go. um, Day after day after day of that, it is going to physically and emotionally wear on you. And you are not going to be the best version of yourself to help your patients, nor are you going to be the best version of yourself to. Be a parent, or a spouse, or a friend, or a, a you know child, like whoever you are, whatever role you have, it changes your capacity and your ability to be fully present and as um, impactful as you can be. And that sounds conceptually obvious, right? Like we can say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I should do that. I should, I should say no. I should, I should, should should, should. <laughs> You know, I I shouldn't do that, or I should do that." Um, But these are, that's where that blockage comes into play. That's where it's like, yeah, I know I should do that, but I'm not doing it. Or they say, hey, just five more minutes. Or hey, can you take this extra patient? Or hey, can you do this? Okay, okay, okay. Because most therapists are givers, most therapists want to help, and it's hard to say no. And so when the boundaries are created and actually enforced, because you yourself internally recognize that this is what is needed for your own well being, and so that you can be the best version of yourself for that other person. Um, that will help, I believe, with your sanity, um, mental capacity, and mental health. Everything
0: you're saying is reminding me of a really, I mean, it was crazy toxic work environment of when I was a brand new grad, and it's like the worst time. I mean, it's your, you're being molded, you're being shaped. Um, And as I wasn't even a lymphedema therapist at this point, I was just a PTA, a clinician in an outpatient rehab place. And it was immediately you document on your lunch break, you come in early. And if you want to be really good and you want to have like this really good reputation in the community, you'll stay late and work with people who have um, working hours or you'll stay late. And you'll work with the students who are coming in after practices. And it quickly became like 12 hour shifts, like six to six. And then you have upper management saying, but no PTO. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're clocking out. If you're getting here an hour early, you can't be on the clock for it. And I, now I'm like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. I would never do that. But as a new grad and someone who didn't know better and who was following the leadership of you know, the senior therapist who had been there for 20 years, I'm like, you guys created this really toxic environment. I actually just had that conversation with a new grad who's in that same clinic now. And I'm like, look, great place to work. Great people to work with. You need boundaries immediately. Mm -hmm. You need boundaries. Um, I can say that now because I'm like 10 years removed from
1: working there, but it, it was hard in the, in the moment. That's the thing is that you have 10 years of experience from that, you know, and in the very beginning, when you're brand new, it is a little bit more challenging to create boundaries in that, in that, um, space because you don't know what your limits are yet. So when you're brand new, fresh out of school and you're starting off, you just, you just want to go. And that's That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know yet. (laughs) That is true. that's, that's life. That's part of the process. And, um, we, yeah, we don't know until, you know, um, but once you know, though, then it's your responsibility to make the changes that are required, you're required to make whatever works for you. So, you know, everyone's different. We have to remember that everyone is completely different. They're on different paths and they're on different paces on that path. So you could have you, and I'm just, I don't, let's take you out. Of, uh, you have therapist a who's super motivated. They just want to go, 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 go. You know, they, they might have the time. They might have the energy and they seem to be accomplishing it all. And even another one who physically, you know, they go for pretty fast for the first few years. And then they're like, ah, my, my mental health is, is taking a beating. I need to, and need to slow down. The thing is, is that we don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on, going on inside of that person's body. Physically and inside of their head, we don't know. We only see what we see on the outside. So that's the other thing is that you can't really compare yourself to another person to see, am I in check? Am I in line? Am I doing the right things? It's got to be that internal focus. So that's where those pauses are super helpful. Whether it's the breath pause, deep breath pause, or just a quick timeout, check in with yourself. That's why taking you know, staycations or actual vacations or breaks periodically, just to like, am I doing, am I in check? Am I, is this working for me? Am I going to the right pace in the right direction and check in? Because a, a visualization for you is if you're going super fast, you have that faucet turned on full blast. It's really hard to stop that water from flowing. If you don't pause and take a look at the bucket that you're filling up, Right, So you have to take that pause and say, oh, wait, I'm actually overflowing right now. I need to turn this off. But if you're not taking a pause to check in with things, and it's just going to keep going and going and going and going. And all of a sudden that, that faucet that's turned on, it's completely draining you. And then all of a sudden you feel it when you get sick, you feel it when you're, you get a car accident because you weren't focusing, you know, something's going to happen because you disconnected for way too long. Yeah. It,
0: it made me think of also your imagery of the brick wall that you have to, maybe it's setting boundaries, you know, is part of getting through the brick wall in a way, like you have to address that, you know, what is the issue? Is it, is it the burnout? Is it the emotional fatigue? And then how do we, and, and I know that we're talking about making the brick, like going through the brick wall and making it through it, but in my mind, it could also be making it smaller or giving you distance from that brick wall. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe boundaries would be a good way to do that. And a life coach could help you set boundaries or hold you accountable for that check-in like, okay, it's been a month. How are you feeling? What's the check-in like? Mm -hmm. And are you ready to do your action step? Like, are you ready to have this meeting with your manager and tell them that things haven't gotten better or have this follow-up conversation and, um, I could see that being really helpful with having a life coach to help a clinician through that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and on that note of, of working with a life coach in these cases, when we go through our day to day emotions, it's we try to have a good perspective on things. We try to have a good broad view on what we're going through. We try to incorporate external um Uh, stressors and impact and, and how we're feeling internally and how it's connected. We try to do that. But so often it's just very common. We get lost inside and sort of this like spiral, or if you, if you could imagine that you're inside like a bubble or a sphere or something, it's like you have one emotion bouncing off one side of the sphere and going to the other side of the sphere. And you're kind of still in this bubble that you're bouncing off. Um, And so having that coach and hearing you talk or a client talk, and it could just be, this is what happened today. This is the experience and this is how I felt. And this is what I did. And this is what they did. And this is how I felt when they did that. And all of this stuff, it can seem like just a story, but the life coach is, is not just engaging your story. They're listening to you talk. They're watching your body move. They're watching the tone or listening to the tone of your voice and how it's changing, watching your face. And whether it like scrunches up when you say something or gets expansive when you say something else, that's telling another story. So we have this nonverbal communication that's coming with the actual verbal communication, plus the tone of the voice that you're speaking with, plus the you know other components that I haven't even mentioned yet, like Enneagram personality type or um, you know the stressful environment that you're in, or all those kind of things. So you have this coach that's sort of encompassing all of this and responds back sort of like as though they hold a mirror up and say, this is what I heard. This is what I'm seeing. What is it? What is that like for you when I say this? Or, or does that make sense to you when I share this perspective that you didn't get to, but you're saying all these things that indicate the same thing. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's consolidating all that information reflecting back and giving you the chance to say, yes, I own that. That is what it is. And now I've named it as such, or Not quite, but you're close. And I think this is actually what it is. So it's sort of like, I kind of see this as the coach and you as a client say, yeah, almost wait, that's this. And so kind of having that stepping stone, you know, to getting to that point of clarity and awareness. It's kind of bringing to mind that idea
0: of, I mean, on a more scheduled basis, but when you call your best friend or your person. You're like, just hear me out. Like, let's, can we just talk through this? But instead of them probably giving you a biased, I'm your best friend approach, a life coach is going to take into account all the things, things that you're not seeing purposefully or not on purpose and be able to help bring that into perspective while you as a client can connect those dots in a healthy way that's right yeah now a break to recognize the sponsors that make lymphedema podcast possible eros medical is a pneumatic compression treatment providing upper and lower extremity compression with more than 30 sizes and pump sleeves eros is sure to have a product to help you in against lymphedema. pediatric lymphedema alliance is the first pediatric lymphedema garment kit and education resource play provides specifically curated kits For pediatric patients by age and stage of lymphedema. The eight hour online course is a great starting point for new therapists or families who are interested in learning more about the fundamentals of pediatric lymphedema management. Juzo family owned compression garments give you the freedom to make the most of every day. Well, you said Enneagram. It's my favorite thing. It's my Mm -hmm. first time to talk about it on the podcast. So I'm super excited. (laughs) I love the Enneagram. It's helped me to understand myself better. Uh, leading up, I mean, it's led me to this acceptance of my tendencies and personality. Um, literally, in between this little break we had, and I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. There's a storm going on right now. And I literally just told Ellen, I'm gonna go get my kid from daycare because I'm just thinking, like, I don't know what that. What that's like, and there's a tornado warning out there, and I'm just thinking about this window that's in his room, and I just imagine like this tornado busting out the window, and my kid being sucked out the window or something. And then I just had to stop and go, you know what? They've had a daycare longer than I've been a mom. I'm sure they have a plan. It's totally fine. And that's such that is very much an eight thing of me to be like, you know what? I can do it better, or I I need to be in control of this. Let me go and do it. So right, right. It was it's helped me honestly because. I probably would have stopped the podcast, been like, I need to go and save the world right now. I'll be back.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think we'll have time to get into like all the, the nine Enneagram types and what they all are and the whole, you know, um, description of them. But you mentioned an eight, you're an eight, one of the, um, terms that is used to describe an eight is a challenger. And what you said right there is, um, you know, I got to save the world. Like that is a very eight. <laughs> cliche eight thing to say in yes. the league, that it is up to you you got to take care of this you got to save everybody and um you know and that can come that that is awesome and it can come with some burdens and, and challenges as well um but that's some of the fun stuff that that comes out of the enneagram yeah. um yeah that's so that's I like that you're calm now. So you <laughs> talked yourself out of it. Maybe because I'm here, <laughs> you coached yourself on that one. <laughs> um, right. So, okay. We can't jump into all of them, but
0: I do just want to like have just a little organic conversation about how might the Enneagram coaching help anyone in the audience with management of their, and I can't say management of their condition as a, you know, physical right management. Um, but how might it help patients and clinicians that would improve their care? You know, it's, it's improved my mental health as a therapist, um, because I know that I can't give and give and give and give and give and give and and continue to have something to give um, in a healthy way. So just maybe let's take the patient's perspective, knowing your tendencies, learning, maybe your type, your wing, your ego, all those things, if you really want to nerd out and get into the deepness of the Enneagram, how would you see that impacting a patient with a chronic illness in the spance, like the long game of their their, um, chronic illness?
1: So I think it'd be helpful to explain firstly that the Enneagram is a personality typing system. Um, It's a tool to be used. Um, I don't look to the Enneagram as the absolute to everything. I think it's pretty amazing the levels of awareness, um, the levels of depth that you can get into about yourself. Um, There's... hopefully people have heard of like the iceberg model. It's applied in many different ways. It's also applied in my training in the Enneagram where the top of the iceberg is the smallest part of the iceberg and it's what others see. And then there's the largest part of the iceberg under the surface, which is what others don't see. And a lot of it is what you don't see yourself. Yep. Um. So there's a lot of learning, um, a process of discovery um, and also a process of growth by using certain tools like the Enneagram. Um, and what it does, it helps to identify response patterns. So if we can keep this in the perspective of the patient, so it helps to identify response patterns, underlying motivations, true desires, uh, coping methods and mechanisms, um, lots of other things, <laughs> ways to connect with others, um, ways to fulfill needs, all that kind of stuff. So what it's doing is it's showing you your motivation behind what you're doing. So if you are a patient, um, and, you know, let's say, let's say it's an eight, because that's what you are. And that's Mm -hmm. what we started with. So let's say you're a patient, a type eight patient. So you're a challenger type, you, you think that it is your when I describe types, I should pause for a second. When I describe types, they're really sort of the average level um, of, of ego sort of. So there's sort of what I didn't explain is that there's, there's levels of, of presence is what I was trained to to call it. So how present you are, how aware and conscious you are, and there's levels within each type. So you could be at a lower level, um, and sort of much very disconnected. You could be at a higher level and really be, um, unattached to your type and then there's a middle level that many of us are living in in this world where you're sort of attached to your ego you have coping mechanisms that are present so when i speak of the types it's really sort of that that middle category uh, because it's the easiest way to differentiate between the types so the type eight would be you know i i gotta i gotta save everybody i i gotta do it all for myself i gotta take care of you i'm gonna step up i'm gonna speak up um and so uh a possibility with a type eight challenger with a, with lymphedema, they might do all of these things for other people, but not for themselves. Right. So there might be some neglect physically um, and not that you do that. And again, this isn't about like identifying and being the same for everybody. These are just examples. So that could be one example that they might um, not wrap themselves at night because someone needed them or they had to go save the world over there and they just went straight to bed and they didn't, they didn't bandage at night. So they're neglecting their own treatment. That's just one example. Um, another example would be uh, type one. They can be called um, a perfectionist. They also like to do things that are, are right. Um, and there's typically a right or wrong um, with a type one. So let's say you have a type one patient. They could be your best patient. They are super on, on point. They are always getting to every appointment on time, probably early they are bandaging they're wrapping you know doing everything they need to do they're doing self massage or doing all the things that would be awesome super cool but what if we get to the extreme side of the type 1 what if they really get into their ego and they start questioning their treatment they start questioning the plan which is not a horrible thing the engagement of asking questions is great but they say, they believe that there's more that can be done for themselves there's, there's a right way to do it. And you're not doing this way because some book told them that this is the way to do it. But here yeah. you are as a therapist, understanding that but, that, that but you're different. You're not this person in this book. And yeah. so there could be that questioning aspect. So there's sort of the different sides. It could be the best patient or it could be the most challenging. And so understanding the Enneagram um, from the patient's perspective is having that self-reflection and self-awareness to know how am I showing up and how am I showing up for my health and well being, And what am I doing? having that accountability. What am I doing to get in my own way? One of the concepts from the Enneagram that was
0: helpful to me was, um, I, and I, as a medical professional in general, I don't love the, um, the phrase like he- healthy and unhealthy. So it's usually like, and lymphedema like to the, your affected side or your unaffected mm, side. Cause mm-hmm. the sequencing used to say, so you like sequence to the un unhealthy side, you sequence away from the unhealthy side, but just like that verbiage is not my favorite, but something in the Enneagram, um, and stress, um, and what's the other. So like you, you go to this and stress integration, but you go like when you're healthy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the healthy and the unhealthy habits kind of, um, and that was really helpful for me to learn because I would find that I, I have very strong type eight characteristics that are unmistakable, but then I would have some like softer, more sensitive tones that mm-hmm. um I think it's type two is it a two for me? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, Oh, that's a really nice thing. Oh, that can't be Mm me. I'm a, I'm a challenger. (laughs) That can't be me. Mm -hmm. But then I was learning like, that's where you go in like safety or in health. Like that's where you go. And so I, I loved learning that because then I could identify my stress points. Yeah. Some eights have, like I have some stress points as an eight, but I would have like these characteristics of a five, which I know is if you don't Enneagram, we just sound like we're just making up numbers we and did. saying oh, I stuff. I know. <laughs> um, but if you're interested, I would love to like talk to you about it or show you some resources. I've read a couple of books and um, it doesn't make me an expert at all, <laughs> but I was so interested that it helped me and it helped me because I learned that a challenger is, um, they like seek justice and they, they want to fight for the right thing. And I would find myself before I knew I wasn't, knew what I was or knew anything about the Enneagram, I'd find myself having a physical response and a staff meeting when everyone else was clearly frustrated. we had had a conversation as coworkers before and we go into the staff meeting and upper management is saying, you know, these are the expectations for this quarter. This is, you know, what you are all doing wrong. And this is what we expect from you. And I would just be sitting there. It would just be bubbling and mm-hmm. bubbling until I would go we're tired of this. And I'm like the one that pops <laughs> off and I'm like, Betty, you need this job. What are you doing? And I physically couldn't make myself stop. So I've now learned that that is my like justice seeking. I'm going to stand up for the people who won't stand up for themselves type thing. And I don't, I, I use it better now. I can identify it and go, do I want to fight for this? Should I right. let them fight for this? You know, right, that type of thing. So the Enneagram has helped me in that way. And I hope that if anyone who's listening wants to learn more or has been interested in it before, um, we could connect. And also, they could reach out to you for mm-hmm. the live coaching, for the Enneagram coaching for how to connect those dots and to learn more about themselves and to become more aware and just overall, like healthier. It's just it's I feel better knowing these things about myself now because I don't feel like I'm walking around with like I don't want to say two blindfolds but like I'm walking around with, like an eye patch on and I can't see the full picture mm-hmm. but then I could see below that iceberg of myself and I understand what I do and why I do it better
1: mm-hmm. that's a great I like that eye patch analogy that's really cool <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. I just made it up yeah. on the fly but no it's perfect I can see
0: <laughs> but I, I can't mm-hmm. see the whole thing and if I really it just takes some work. So
1: yeah, I, I like that you mentioned the integration and stress points. And that's the other component, one of the components of the Enneagram, there's many components, of the Enneagram that are pretty cool. But that's one that's really spectacular, in my opinion, is that you are not the same when you're in stress, you're not the same when you're completely safe, you know, and and so understanding that sort of fluidity and overlap, of how you cope given the situation that you're in, given the environment that you're in. And that's where being present and fully aware and conscious is really significant because if you can be aware of where am I right now? How do I feel right now? Not always. This isn't you always. It's who you are right now. And I feel this way because of this. And so you having the recognition and awareness of your tendency to want to save somebody in that moment, when you're feeling everything kind of bubbling up inside of you, that's your somatic cue that mm-hmm. I need to breathe. Hold on a minute. Something's about to happen. If I don't take this breath, if I don't take a break, <laughs> right? And so, but if you yes. didn't know that, it would just whoop, you know, word vomit everywhere. <laughs> but with with the awareness, you can catch yourself, and that's where understanding how you cope, and understanding how you act, and understanding the motivation behind why you do it, it helps you with your tendencies, it helps you be aware of them and helps you manage them, you know, keep you
0: a little bit calmer. I honestly, I couldn't have said it better myself. Just learning, learning the tendencies and Enneagram has I mm-hmm. <clears> think, <throat> helped me significantly. Me too. Me I think that's too. why I like telling everyone about it as a lymphedema therapist. I like telling people about lymphedema. I was at the dentist this morning and it's like a college like a student it's um the college of dentistry set up and she's talking about how she has this research paper to write and I'm like what is it over and then I'm like have you ever heard of lymphedema and she said no and I literally got giggly and giddy and said let me tell you she's like <laughs> what is this crazy person in my chair saying so I feel the same way about the Enneagram when people are like no I don't And I'm like let me tell you because mm-hmm. it's so good
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yep I feel the same way yeah
0: um I think that will wrap up our conversation. As much as I probably could talk to you for hours on end. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um I think this will cover it for us. Um, I do like to give my guest an opportunity to leave any words of encouragement for the audience. So is there anything that you would like to share?
1: A couple points. Okay. So the first one being, I think we've mentioned it a few times, um, self-awareness. Um, self-care. But along with self-care is self-acceptance and self-love. And there's a lot of talk about self-love, a lot of talk about self-care and all these things. I would love for your audience to consider what that means for them individually Mm -hmm. and recognizing what does self-care look like to you in your life? What does self-acceptance feel like? What does self-love feel like? Um, And incorporating that as an integral part of your peace and well-being. And the other, um, another point is truly committing to a healthier and more fulfilling lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and by doing that through a commitment to yourself and taking the actions, um, being an active participant in that process of growth um, and healing. And the other is really specifically for the therapist is recognizing that for everything that you do for other people remember to reflect that back to yourself. So giving yourself the attention, the kindness, patience back to you and accepting that gift that you give to yourself with gratitude.
0: Ellen, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your insight. Um, I'm excited. I hope that e- even just one person, could reach out to you and learn more, um, with you and about themselves as a life coach, Enneagram, um, uh, learning more about their body through the somatic practice. Um, I do want to close out. I do want to give you the opportunity if you want, do you want to do a, like a quick guided
1: Yeah. or. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do a very brief grounding, um, Not a meditation, just a grounding, just a check-in with your body, almost a teaser grounding, if you will. So just a couple minutes. If you feel comfortable, please close your eyes. And I invite you to feel into your body. Let gravity have an effect on your body. Let your arms, your back, hips, legs drop into your seat. As you let your body start to unravel, start to relax, let it get heavy, bring your attention to your breath. If you feel pulled to, take two to three deep cleansing breaths. After your cleansing breaths, regulate to a more natural breath pattern. Just with your attention on your breath, nothing to change. Notice the fluidity of your breath. Let yourself take a gentle pause between the inhales and the exhales. So you inhale up, take a pause exhale out take a pause inhale pause exhale pause as you continue with your breathing attention is on it you're continuing to naturally regulate your nervous system with this conscious breathing now notice how your body is responding Your body is heavy and relaxed in your chair. Breathing is regulated. Give yourself a moment to enjoy this feeling. bringing your attention back to your body, bringing your attention back to the room, softly open your eyes. So you can do this anytime on your own, whenever you have just a couple of minutes. I think that was literally two, maybe three minutes, but you have the power to shift your energy from tense and stress to at least a little bit more ease and empowered. Thank you.
0: Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about our topic today. Remember, if there's a topic you're looking for, the website has a full library of podcasts. Email me with your story if you would like to share podcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.